the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body to grow, so it builds itself up in love. Amen. So in verse 7, it says, Grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, remember when we did uh, about a year ago the the study on the spiritual gifts, and we looked at uh, Romans 12 at great length and a couple other passages. One of the things I was struck by is that every gift, Paul would say something like this: "By the grace of God given to me, I tell you." So why am I this guy who can tell you anything? Why am I this apostle? The grace of God in me. Now that you have a gift. Work in accordance to the grace given to you. So God gave grace to men like Paul, but God also gives grace to people like us, and we are to work according to the grace which he has given to us. Now it says that he gave gifts, and it quotes this psalm, Psalm 68, and it's a psalm that we partially read. It was a huge psalm, so I have him do the back half. Psalm 68, which is a king victorious psalm. So the king has conquered uh, destroyed the enemies. And so as part of his reigning and ruling, now as the king, uh, conquering king victorious, he distributes gifts to men. And he's applying that concept to Jesus Christ, who through the cross conquered over sin, death, and spiritual powers that we do not see but have complete control over this world at times. He has conquered over all of them. And now as part of his reign, sitting on the throne of God, He has distributed gifts to us. The fact that we have any gift at all is a sign of Christ's victory. And that should excite us for ministry. And what is more, the reason why he has given us grace, because grace is more than just God's favor for you, which it is, God favorably working for you, but God working through you. That God, by his grace, works through us to accomplish his purposes, so that, as we're seeing in the book of Ephesians, and it's probably one of the most baffling, mind-blowing concepts, is that God 
is filling the universe with his rule, with the instruments, which is us. That he's carrying out his purposes for this world through us, through our lives, through our proclamation and living of the gospel. God is completely, as it were, subversively just, just destroying everything that controls this world. And at the end of time, as it were, the scaffolding is going to fall away and we're going to see this glorious temple of people from every tongue, tribe, nation, people. Everything that distinguishes one person from another in terms of categories. And we are going to be a beautiful city. A new humanity. And God has done it despite all odds. That's why we have statements like up here. That as Roman Christian Fellowship, we exist to proclaim and embody the gospel. We speak it and we live it. It's part of our very identity because it's what God is doing in the universe. And we have to be so careful because this world wants us to think our lives are about something else. It is not. First and foremost, we belong to this kingdom. We belong to this king. We obey him and we do what he wants us to do. That is why people can uproot themselves from homes and from jobs and go to wherever they're called with joy. Because God is working through us. Now, what is that going to look like? And that is what we're going to focus on in verses 11 on. So, as a church, how are we doing this? And so, in, in this passage, 11 through 16, we're going to see that Christ is building his church by equipping us and involving us for service through his word. Through his word. We are to learn the word of Christ. We are to grow in maturity and obedience to the word. And when we are equipped, we help others grow into the maturity. So, we are to learn the word of Christ. It says that grace was given to each of us according to Christ's gifts, so we're all uniquely gifted. But then he singled out five groups of people in particular. And that are, that is, our, our plural, okay, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now, what do all these people have in common? So he's bringing them into the forefront. So he's, he's putting these people first because their ministry and what they're going to do is important to the life and the ministry of the church. And what is it they all have in common? The Word of God. So remember, uh, well, I'll start with the apostles and the prophets. So remember, we talked about this last week if you're here, so if not, recap. The apostles and the prophets are the people to whom God has given revelation concerning, specifically, himself. And we saw this from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, and I'll read this to you. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Pause. So that means something new, which automatically at this point is saying he's not, when he says prophets, he's not talking about prophets of old per se. Because this is a new mystery revealed now revealed, not to other generations, but now has been revealed through his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
So that's kind of encapsulating the gospel and the effects of the gospel. And then in Ephesians 2.20, it said that we are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. And the point being, this is from last week, that the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. The reason why we know anything about the life and ministry of what Jesus said is because he had men around him learning it and being taught it and going through, as it were, the boot camp of life with Christ. So that at the end of the Gospels, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, okay, now you go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So these are eyewitnesses who know what Christ taught and know what he wanted out of obedience. They're going to tell us that. And then, additionally, they are especially equipped and commissioned by Christ to do so. And he uniquely does so by the Spirit in a way that's probably not true of all of us because how are you going to remember everything that Christ had ever told you? I mean, like, what did you do last Thursday? At 1 o'clock, 1.13. What did, what did your wife say to you, right? <laughs> they probably know, <laughs> right? <laughs> they remember, yeah. But the Spirit is divinely empowering the apostles to remember these things and bring, and bring them before us. And then, the other thing the Holy Spirit does is gives them a new framework with how to look at the Old Testament. Because they see this for the first time as a messianic message. Like, the whole point of the Old Testament is there is a Messiah coming. There is a Messiah coming. There is a Messiah coming. And, and Peter's first sermon is about the Messiah has come and all the Old Testament was pointing towards it. And so they teach us how, not only what Christ did, like in the Gospels, and how to live our lives, New Testament, but how to look at the Old Testament and understand how it is pointing to the person and the work, and the accomplished work of Christ, and what God is doing in the world. And so it provides this entire framework the apostles. Joining with that are the prophets. You'd almost think the apostles would be enough, but very quickly the church grows and grows and grows to the point that there's 12 formal big A apostles who are actually with Christ. There was one untimely born, his name was Paul, who was saved and taught by Christ in the wilderness. Got Christ equipped him specifically. So he call, would call himself one untimely born, and he joined in with, with the 12. But then there's just like these general apostles, kind of a little a, like Barnabas. It's called an apostle. But he was obviously also um, new about, and had ministry with Jesus. But at the end of the day, there were only a certain amount of people who ministered with Christ. So, answer the prophets. Because as churches get planted throughout the, uh, in Europe, and the, there's only 12 apostles, maybe if you consider the little guys too, like Barnabas's, maybe a hundred, where are they all going to be? They're not going to be available to every church. So God gave prophets who also, as Ephesians 3 had put it, gave revelation concerning Christ, the mystery of Christ. So, the whole point being, apostles and prophets are giving us the word of Christ, the word concerning Christ, and the words that Christ has given. the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. So now the evangelists are those who spread it. They learn from the apostles. It's like kind of that, that next generation, Philip, the evangelist in Acts. 
he learned the message, and he went with it. And, and near and far. Like, spread evangelism in your own community, Judea, and then the next community, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that kind of that missionary endeavor is also kind of subsumed under this evangelism. That these are the people spreading it, the runners, saying, good news, good news, you need to hear this. So the evangelists spread the word that, that we have been given, and then God gives the shepherds and the pastors. So the apostles and the prophets are the givers of the word. The evangelists spread it, and the shepherds and the teachers are the ones who are applying it. So the shepherds comes, or you might have pastor in your, in your Bible, same idea, shepherd, are those people who are tasked with caring for the people of God, overseeing them, just, just like a shepherd would. You have care to make sure the wolves don't come and eat the flock, that the, the flock is nourished and protected. And God gives men to the church to do that very task with the word. They can point you to the word and say, this is what God wants for your life. This is sin. No, you should do it this way. So they minister, protect the body through the word, and then the teachers are the ones who teach the word. And be careful, Westerners, because we often think of teaching as, well, something like this. Someone telling you stuff, and you hear stuff, and you think, I've learned it. And that's not the Bible's idea of learning. That's halfway learning. The full way learning is, and then you apply it. A learner is someone who can do what has been told. That's why the Great Commission said, teaching them to obey all that commanded, not just to know all that commanded, but actually put it into practice. So God puts in the body people who can share the word and say, oh, and this is how we put it to practice in our lives. So we have these five groups of people, and they all center around giving the church and helping the church understand the word, and it's by this gift that what? And so he goes on. He gives them, verse 12, to equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that means believers. Believers need to be equipped. You're not just saved and say, I'm equipped for ministry. No, no, no. You've got to become equipped by understanding the Word of God. And it also implies that unless you have a grasp of the Word of God, you are ill-equipped for ministry of any sort. Of any sort. That it's the, it's the Word of God that empowers and strengthens us and teaches us how to, to do things in the church. How to be good servers in love. How to speak true to each other in love. You need the Word as it were forming. And it's really interesting that this equipping has this idea of reparative equipping. It's like, this is a technical word if you broke your bone. And the doctor comes and you know, puts it back in place. That is part of the idea of equipping. So it almost, it's almost like a picture of, because you've come out of the world and you've got all this junk ideas in your head. You think you know what this whole world's about, but now you've had a huge paradigm change. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God working in this world to bring about his kingdom and build his temple. And, and you read some of this stuff, and it's some of the strangest stuff you've ever heard. You read some of this Old Testament, it's weird stuff. Because it's... <laughs> Things that should be normal for us is bizarre. But these are realities. These are truths. There is a holy temple being built. There are these things called covenants. There are all these 
strange yet wonderful things. And as we get into the word, our mind is renewed and transformed and we understand it better and better and better so that suddenly you're watching a TV show going like, dude, that's totally bogus. <laughs> I was talking to a, this, this, this guy. He said, I, I was, I'd always watch, I wouldn't watch anything with like nudity in it, but I'd watch violent movies. He's like, oh, violence, you know, man, rah, 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 rah. And, and he said, and he began to realize, as he's in the Word, that he had anger issues. And part of what was fueling the anger was his, his immersion in this violence. Like, you do this to me, and I have the right to hurt you back, was kind of the theme. And so things that seemed so innocuous, he's like, no, there's nothing wrong here, was, was, it was affecting him. He didn't realize it, but it was affecting him. It wasn't until he was in the Word, and there was that paradigm shift, like, oh, that is not how God sees the world at all, that he changed. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that every person may be equipped for every good work. God has given us his divine power and has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. Through knowledge. That's first, Second Peter 1.3. Psalms 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Like, how do you walk? With his word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If there's going to be any power in our ministry, it's going to be fueled by our understanding and knowledge of the Word. I should qualify. The right understanding of the Word. So there's lots of people who go through and can't see Christ anywhere and completely miss the point are not empowered for ministry. We are not Jewish Old Testament readers. We are Christian Old Testament readers. It is by means of the word that the body of Christ is built up. That's the other thing he says. So he's returning to that image set forward in Ephesians 2, that Christ is building construction, building a temple. And he's saying that God is doing that building through the ministry of his word and our understanding and grasp of that word. The word is what is doing it. And there is inward growth. You, Christian, will mature. And there is outward growth. You, Christian, will spread this good news into the lives of other people. So, being under this instruction, saints, learning from the Word better and better, saints, it is expected that, secondly, we grow into maturity. Verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is going to give us pictures of maturity. How do you know you are mature? It's probably a good thing to know, right? You think you're a mature Christian. Okay? Well, here's the measure that he gives us. That we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So maturity is, first of all, seen by unity of belief about Christ. 
Do you know, can you articulate what it means to be a Christian? I'm not even talking like being able to quote a creed or even like outline doctrine. I'm saying, could you right now tell yourself, don't tell me, tell yourself or tell someone what every book of the New Testament is talking about? Like every one of them. Philemon, oddball books, Jude, right? Can you, do you know these things that God has given us to his word? And then heaven forbid I ask you about Old Testament. Obadiah. Oh, man. I was, trying, I was like, two weeks ago, I was going through this exercise myself. I'm like, before I say this, can I, can I even just say, in general, this is what the Bible is talking about? And, and, and remember in Hebrews, we said, you know, you all should be teachers. So you have this question about Melchizedek. What is Melchizedek all about? And they all see it, ask this question to the person writing the letter, whoever he is. He said, um, you know, can you tell us about what this whole Melchizedek thing? And you're thinking, Melchizedek who? <laughs> like, what do you mean what is it all about? And he says, you should know. You have been Christians for so long. You should be able to answer these things, yet you can't. And so there's, there's kind of this push in the Bible to make sure you're studying and knowing and understanding how Melchizedek points to Christ. You might feel I've talked to people and they say, well, I have a simple faith. Okay, yes. There is a simple faith. Jesus Christ, him, crucified, risen from the dead, coming again. Simple. Yes. But staying right there and only knowing that and only insisting to be right there is called uh, delayed adolescence. No. Arrested development. It's like you're this infant in a human body that you refuse to learn and become nourished on the word and know these truths that would make you effective for ministry. So maturity is seen by unity of belief about Christ. Maturity is seen in that a certain stature is reached because he says that you've reached this mature manhood. Now, he's talking about legal age. Like, your parents, I'm starting to understand this now, you've got these, like, squirrely kids, and you're like, okay, if you would only learn these things, so by the time you hit 18... You will be a productive member of society. Please. <laughs> All right. and, then, and then one day you're looking at your kids and you're like, oh, praise the Lord, they did it. Okay. But it's like they reach maturity and, and they are now a functioning adult acting like adults in this world. Okay. And that is the idea here. That as you come under this teaching, there's like this basic understanding that you must come to. It doesn't tell us exactly where that line is. But all this training and all this instruction in the Word gets you to a point where you've kind of reached that, that mature adulthood whereby you're a functioning member of the church, like you're healthy, and like you can join in and you're equipped to do so, just like someone in society. And so there's like this bottom line that the Bible is insisting you get to and understanding the word and understanding how to obey the word and apply the word. It's a bottom line that once you do get to, and I bet you something like you know what's going on in the entire New Testament and Old Testament, right? Something like that. Okay, so there's this bottom line. And then it turns around and says it the other way. The maturity is seen in its full completion by possessing the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's the upper line. Bottom line, mature manhood. Upper limit, fullness, measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this one, you know how you got your kids against the wall and you're like, as they grow, you got the little pencil mark, pencil mark, pencil mark. And one day you do a pencil mark, you pull back, you're like, 
nothing new here. And he, you know, maybe like a year later, I was like, Mom, 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 come on, let's do it again. You pull him back, like, yep, nope, nothing more here. It's like growing is done. Right? There's no more they're going to grow. You've reached the measure of the fullness. There's nowhere left to grow up to. So what is that for us? Well, <laughs> the fullness, the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first one says, there's a bottom line you need to reach to. And the second one says, and don't ever think you've gotten there. Because you've got to have the same attitude towards the word as Jesus Christ. You've got to have the same understanding of the word as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would get in these arguments with the Sadducees and take them down with a verb tense. He'd be in, like, arguing, having, being tempted by the devil and could pull some obscure verse out of Deuteronomy and apply it to the moment. Yeah, we have a lot to do. and a lot to learn, right? And there's always that learning that we have to keep doing. It's like, and this is a bad analogy I told myself. It's probably a bad analogy, but I think you'd understand. It's like when I got my degree in mathematics, I almost want to say, don't give me a piece of paper. I have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, you think I've learned a lot. And all I know is how much there is out there to know. And it's the same with the word. You, you know you've got the shape, the structure of the Bible. You get the shape of the gospel. But there is just so much there is to learn. So much to apply. Like, I have never walked away from the Bible thinking, yep, I've got it all figured out. <laughs> never. And, and I've had the joy of being in seminary for four years, getting hit by a two-by-four saying, you have no clue what you're talking about sometimes. There's just so much in the Bible. And it's just rich. It's like, remember that parable that Jesus said? The scribe of the, of the word is like a master of the house who goes in the basement and brings out treasure, both old and new. Always new. And stuff that you knew. Oh, yeah, that's a great piece of treasure. And new treasure as well. You're always seeing new and fresh things. And you're always seeing new ways to apply the word to our lives. Maturity is seen in stability. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children. Okay, so the opposite of being mature is children. Okay, so what characterizes children? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Okay, do you know what this is not saying? Yeah, the world's full of stupid ideas. I mean, silly, silly arguments that are just so easy to understand and, like, debunk. Yeah, yeah that's why I thought when I went to college. <laughs> when I was, like, 17, like, I've got this all figured out. And then you're like, good Lord Almighty. There are some really, like, deceptively seductive ideas that, that just seek to draw you in. It's, it's not in just, like, in terms of the head, but the heart. They just want to draw you in. And so there's... And, and there's deliberate deceit being talked about here, craftiness and cunning. The word comes from people cheating you at a dice game. Like, you're set up to lose, and they know it. And so you, we, as believers, are in this world swirling with these ideas that are seeking to draw us in. There are forces out there Advertising, right? We, I think America is becoming a little bit more up to speed on this, or maybe avoid, I don't know. I'm a young, twenty-year-old. You guys probably have known this whole time. 
advertising just trying to paint life in the rosiest way possible. Do you want to be happy? Smoke. (laughs) You want to be happy? Look like this. You want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. It's really easy to imbibe cultural narratives. Stories that the world tells us will make you happy. Like, yep. Like I said, like my friend who said, I was watching all these action flicks, not realizing that it was like drawing me in. He didn't realize it until the word came and said, with its light and said, and God by his spirit pointed that out in him. He would have never known. And this is written to the Ephesians. And in the Ephesian church, something unique happens. Paul in Acts 20 said, I'm leaving you, going to Rome. You're going to be thrown in jail. You're not going to see me for a while. And from your own midst will rise up wolves who will seek to lead you astray. From your own midst will come false teachers. And in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, guess what he's dealing with? Writing the church of Ephesus, specifically to Timothy, saying, it's like the war is on already. And he's telling them how to deal with false teachers. And then in Revelation, it's like, yeah, you guys have fought for doctrine, but you've lost your first love. The, the, the Ephesians is the one church in the, in the early church times that almost every single apostle showed up at some point and ministered for a certain amount of time. And yet, they got snared by false doctrine and drawn away from their first love. Which means that that is a potential reality for this church too. And the only way we're going to be on solid ground is our firm commitment to this word. We've watched over the last three years, probably a little bit longer, but especially the last three years, as church after church after church has said, we actually think the Bible's okay with gay marriage. When the Bible is clearly, I say this with, it's clearly against it. Christ was clearly against it. And there's all these churches saying, and, and you know they're not talking from the word of God because they're using arguments out of the playbook of the world. It's like, God insists on my happiness. Why would he give me these desires if he doesn't want me to indulge them and be happy? No, God does want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy and to pursue him and, and to come to Christ as Savior. Yeah, those desires, it's called sin. Sin. Sin corrupts every, like, taints every aspect of our humanity. Our minds, our emotions, our sexuality. And, and the church is supposed to be one that calls you back to the, the Redeemer who would heal you, who would save you, and yet now all of a sudden the churches are turning around saying, nope, nope, it's okay. And they've lost their salt, and they've lost their light, because and they've lost this. They cannot argue. I've, and I've looked. I have looked and I've studied what they're saying and they do not argue from this word. They just say Paul was wrong. End of story. And so as America, we see the necessity of sticking to our guns, sticking to the word, even when the culture and its cunningness and its craftiness and its despising us insists that we do otherwise. And on that particular issue, maybe we're firm. We've got it figured out. We're not going to... But there's going to be other things. There's always something. Every, every five years, there's a new thing that we're being asked to be pushed and moved on. 
And you've got to be willing to say, I know the word and I stand by the word. I walk by the word. And nothing you can say will push me from that. And when you know it, and it's in your head, and it's forming your worldview, you will be mature. Not like children tossed by every wind and every wave. So, the ministry of the word, when we are equipped by it, we're expected to be mature. And third, when we've reached maturity, we're to equip others to grow into maturity as well. And this is where it kind of comes full circle. That once you've reached a certain level of maturity, okay, then you're going to be involved in that process as well. Which is, this, this full circle is exactly why we're preaching from this passage this week. Because it is the responsibility that we all are involved in the maturing process of believers. I've talked kind of individually. Like, we need to, we need to, yes. We need to individually grow in the word, grow in obedience. But we need to do so corporately. That our identity is seen as all of us. So if there is one person who's, who's, who doesn't understand the word, like some, per, some new person gets saved, it is the responsibility of the entire church to insist and come alongside and build that person up. Because it's so easy to think in church, we need Pastor Bob. Like, he, he, like the life of the ministry is Pastor Bob or the elders. No. Not at all. We need everyone. Because it says, when the whole body working together, that's when the body grows. We need all the parts fully functioning. In other words, I need you. You need me. We need... Oh man, it sounds like Barney's song. I'm sorry. We need everybody to be fully functioning. So it says in verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. I take that to mean in every aspect of our lives. In every way. It touches everything. Into him who is the head, Christ. And head always means authority. Who is the authority of the church. Speaking the truth in love, we, all of us. So who speaks the truth in love? We, all of us, not Pastor Bob, not just Pastor Bob. Everyone should be at the point where they can speak the truth in love. We are all equipped because it says Christ, from Christ the whole body, verse 15, from Christ the whole body is joined and held together by every joint. It is Christ who's doing this. He has put us together. Is it any surprise that we are who we are in this church together? Not to Christ. It was his design. When someone walks in the door and then they you know, stick it out in the church in this fellowship, God purposefully put you there to serve. Because in some way, you have something to contribute to the body that was missing until you walked in. Because God has given you grace in a certain way. And that's why it's really okay that there are lots of churches because it's just lots of bodies of people being fit together ever so perfectly 
to complement each other, to, to, ha- to have a full expression of the gifts together, so it's not just top-heavy on one side, but you've got teachers, you've got servers, you've got people who will love, and you've got it all, and Christ is doing this, and he unifies us, as it were, like a body. Just the way all your parts work. And when you sprain your arm, or you stub your toe, how functional are you? Yeah, not really. Like limping around all day, can't do anything. Like, oh, my toe. Okay, and that should be our own attitude towards each other. If there is someone hurting, we seek to help. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We warn and exhort each other because sometimes you may know, you may see someone like, oh man, they're heading in the bad direction, or oh man, that's not good, that's sin. And what, you're not going to say anything? No, no, no. You have an obligation, as it were, to yourself to do that, to reach out to that person and tell them to speak the truth in love. And the joy of it all is that we actually get to be involved in this process. I mean, first of all, we were rebellion rebellion against God. We were ensnared by the world, but God saved us out of it and put us into a family, into a nation. Right? And he's not just saying, oh, hey, uh, I adopted you. Why don't you just go sit in that corner for the rest of your life and just be happy that you're part of my family? No. He involves you. He says, oh, hey, do you want to do the dishes? <laughs> I'm part of a family. Yes. I'm in God's family. I get to do this. Or, or you get put into a nation, and he gives you a job. It's like, oh, welcome to our nation. You know, hang out until it's all done. No, he actually involves you in the process. And, and then, because it's God's grace working in you, just that, that amazing idea that God is working through you. God is working through you. So when you, when you speak to people, God, Christ is working. When you love people, Christ is working. When, you, when you're spreading the gospel, Christ is working in and through you. And when we as a church are, are fellowshipping, Christ is working through us in those moments. Because remember, the whole picture, there's this temple being raised. And, and, it, and, and when it's talked about in Ephesians 2, it's, like, it's almost like you're standing off in the distance and you're watching this temple being raised up, was the image. Okay, you walk in closer and say, well, how's that happening? Exactly like this. Us involved with each other. Us involved in the world. So there is inward growth, and there's outward growth, and praise be to God that we get to participate in this privilege. Because the idea is, be fueled for ministry, and then do ministry. Know these great and glorious truths, Ephesians 1 through 3. Know them. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. And one of the ways that we are being called, Redwood Christian Fellowship, to live in the act, is that we become, we continue to become mature, all of us, in the Word, which it seems like we're doing a great job at, by the way. Just Bible studies are great. And we're always pressing forward, spreading the word, and making new disciples. And in this world, there's always room to grow. There's always room to grow. So, 
Do we have this high view of what God's doing in our lives? Are we pressing towards maturity? Are we striving to build the church, both internally and externally? So I leave you, leave us with these questions, and ask that the Lord would just be working in our hearts. We've got a couple more sermons. Alan's going to talk about being filled by the Spirit next week. Pray for him. <laughs> I've appreciated your prayers. Pray for him. Yes. There's more. There's more for us to, to be doing. So, um, Let's pray and we'll go to communion. Gracious Father, we thank you that Christ is victor. That Christ has ascended into heaven and has distributed gifts to men. Lord, that you gave us your word through the prophets and the apostles and that you have given evangelists who spoke in some ways, into our lives, someone shared the gospel with us and we came to believe. And that you've given us shepherds who protect us and teachers who instruct us, Lord. And I pray that because of this, that each of us would become mature. That each of us would be growing to the fullness of the measure of Christ. That we'd be people who put this into practice. And God, I pray that we would be involved in each other's lives, speaking the truth in love. God, I pray that the church... Redwood Christian Fellowship would grow. Lord, not just new Christians joining, shuffling around from church to church. Lord, we pray that there would be salvation. And Lord, that all of us, by knowing the word, would be made wiser than our enemies. That by knowing the word of truth, can speak it in the right moments when we're sharing the gospel with someone. Because the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and you could pierce the heart of someone who is in complete rebellion against you with your word. So, Lord, it is our utter dependence on this word, your words to us, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, Lord, that is going to give Redwood Christian Fellowship any type of power, because it is you who are at work in and through us by your grace. Thank you for this privilege, Lord. So now, as we come before your table, we recognize that we are people redeemed, that we are part of one family that shares from one table, one loaf, one cup, because there is one Father who is Lord over all, through all, and in all. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you and praise you for our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who saved us from the wrath of God and has made peace with us. Lord, who is our healer and is healing us from the effects of sin in our lives. We pray that by your word this week, that you would be transforming our minds, transforming our hearts, giving us a further love for Jesus Christ and a love for his church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We stand as we close, of course, as always, refreshments in the back, a good time to speak the truth to each other in love.